And today the title of this message is Riding the Beast, Riding the Beast. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to chapter 17 of Revelation. I'm going to read the entire chapter to you, and then we are going to dig into it as to what it means to us today, how does it fit into the flow of what's been happening already, and what does the Lord want to say to us about that. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 17, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth." I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction." The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other is not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven, is going to his destruction. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They will have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire." For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish His purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over kings of the earth. Lord, as we dive into Your Word, there is so much here to digest, and yet You are great at taking Your Word and applying it in such a way that not only do we understand it, we begin to see how it reveals our hearts. And so, Lord, we ask today that through the ministry of Your Holy Spirit, You would take the Word and make it applicable to us today so that we can clearly see how it fits not only into the culture and the concept in which it was written, but also how it applies to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Chapter 17, which I read, and chapter 18, which I will read part of it a little bit later on, and will refer to are in seeing with the sequence of the bowl wraths that we talked about last week in, in chapter 16. In fact, each of the bowls that were poured out, and, and last week we talked about them being very shallow bowls, and they were easy to pour out of so that the judgments of God could flow. And we noticed last week that there was an angel that was in charge of each of the wraths. It tells us in the first verse that one of those angels who had had one of the bowls came and said to John, I want to show you the punishment of the great prostitute. Now, as we approach this 17th and 18th chapter, here's what you need to know. Chapter 16 was like the end of a great movie where we came and we recognized that as the last wrath was poured out upon the air, we see the end of human history as we know it. God brings to a close humanity as we have seen it. And now we get to these chapters in 17 and 18 and we're going, okay, what, what's going on here and, and how does all this fit? If, if chapter 16 was the full-length movie... Chapters 17 and 18 would be, I need to take you back to what you missed because in the end of the scene, so much was happening on the screen that you could not possibly see all of the little details. And so it's like the Spirit says, now I'm going to rewind a little bit and we're going to go through it frame by frame in slow motion so that you can capture some of the images that you missed that are yet very important to you. And so 17 and 18 retell in greater detail, the ends of the bold wraths that chapter 16 was all about. And then it leads up into what chapter 19 is a phenomenally great celebration that takes place in heaven. So for those of you taking notes, the first point that I want to point out to you today is the woman on the beast. The woman on the beast. Now, I promise you today, this will be the last image of a dragon that I show you in this series. I know you've been keeping up with it all along, and each seems to be just a little bit different than the last, but here is a picture of what is described to us in the 17th chapter of a prostitute riding the beast, the beast being the Antichrist. Now, I do need to tell you that as I was doing a little research trying to find something, there were a lot of images out there that were so graphic that I would have been embarrassed to show them to you in church. So this is as tame as we can make a prostitute riding the Antichrist. And this is what the image might be described. Keep your minds in a good place. This might be the image that would be described for us there. It is the symbol... In chapter 12, we knew that the image of the beast was of Satan himself. In chapter 13, we recognized that there was another beast that came up that had the same DNA. It was known as the Antichrist because he was the embodiment of Satan himself, just like Jesus was the embodiment of God the Father. The Antichrist in the end is going to be a highly influential world leader that will be the embodiment of demonic intent for our world. Revelation 17 is really interesting because it self-interprets. As we read it, it begins to describe things at the beginning that it interprets at the end. However, it interprets it in a, at least two different ways. We are told that the seven heads of the dragon represent, in one case, hills, seven hills that they represent. 
In another case, a verse later, it talks about they also represent seven kings. So in apocalyptic literature like Revelation, these symbols are rather fluid and you have to be a little bit flexible in the way that you apply them. And so we have this picture of the dragon again, but what is different than it was in the previous chapters is that there is a woman that is riding this beast. And this is where it begins. There's a woman that's dressed in scarlet, sitting upon the seven-headed, ten-horned beast. And this woman is a picture of affluence. We are told that she is wearing scarlet. She is wearing purple. She is glamorously accessorized. I learned all about accessories when I took my daughter when she was in high school to get her a gown for a banquet and discovered you don't just buy a dress. You have to buy a dress and you have to buy shoes that match. You have to buy a purse that matches. Then you have to have accessories that match. Some of you are smiling because you know what that's all about. So here is this woman sitting on this beast and she is decked out. She is fully accessorized. And when we Take a look at this as the way that it was presented to the first century church that John was writing to these seven churches that were a part of what we now consider a, a Turkey. They would have seen this language in writing and to them it would have been indescribable excess. It would have been a description of unbelievable luxury. And then we notice that the woman is also carrying a golden goblet. And we're told in scripture that it is filled with abominations and adulteries. I don't know what that smelled like, but it could not have been good as she is holding this. And so John sees a woman that the angel calls and tells him is a harlot or a prostitute because she is in league with or alliance with nations that have sold out their values in order to profit from her wealth. And this woman described to us is both astonishingly beautiful temptingly attractive and abominable at the same time. And she is sitting on the back of satanic power known as the Antichrist. And she appears to be holding the reins as if she has some level of control. And she has a name. Her name, which is told to us in verse 5, says, it's written on her forehead and it was a mystery. And it's described to us as Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, the abominations of the earth. Now, Babylon in the first century was highly symbolic. It traces its, its roots all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 in, in when the Tower of Babel was being built. And Babel was a place that represents people moving away from or becoming rebellious against the ways of God. It had everything to do with the rebellion of God. And so her name, which is stamped on her forehead, is Babylon. And so as John is writing this to these seven churches, they would have looked at this scene knowing the seven hills that Rome is built on, and they would have seen this as a representation of Rome in their world. In fact, there's a Roman historian named Cassidus who was not a Christian, and here's the way he described Rome during this first century. He said, Rome is a place where horrible and shameful things from all over the world congregate and find their home. So this is the reputation that Rome had. And so surely the churches of Revelation that it was being written to would have understand this graphic as obviously being Rome and it was fueled by the devil. 
But when we take this verse or this chapter and move it into the day and age in which we live, I love how Bruce Metzger puts it as he broadens it into a fuller meaning for us. He says this, Babylon is allegorical of the idolatry that any nation commits when it elevates material abundance, material prowess or military prowess, technological grandeur and radical pride and any other glorification of the creation over the creator. Does this quote not have America written all over it? Though the Bible tells us that the Antichrist is yet to come, there is a spirit of Antichrist that is already in our world. We are seeing nations, more and more, especially the ones that have influence in our world that the Antichrist will bring into league and align with. And these nations are marked by all of these things that we see here in America, material abundance, military prowess, technological complexity, radical pride, and everything that glorifies what is created over the one who created them. And so when we look at this, we can see a picture of America and the woman on the beast, we are told in the last verse of chapter 17, represents a great city. This city can also be represented to us as a system that has its values set in material abundance, a system that had its value set in military power, technologically complexity, and everything that the Antichrist can work with to bring world domination. Now, I am not saying to you that the prostitute sitting on the beast is America, but it is not a hard stretch for us to look at this and recognize that we certainly fit within that category of the things that we have sold our values to. And as she is holding that cup with the abominations, abomination simply means something regarded with extreme disgust or hatred. So these are things that God hates that she is holding up. And her adulteries. The cup that she is holding up is filled with celebration of everything that God hates. The celebration of the shattering of covenants, the shattering of vows, the destruction of dreams, and the brokenness of hopes. And it pains me today to recognize that the very thing that the prostitute is holding up in her cups are the very things that today America is exporting. We are the greatest exporter of immorality anywhere in the world. We are the greatest exporter of pornography. Hollywood is filling our world with entertainment that celebrates spiritism and occultism. America celebrates the fact that we are watching the moral degradation of family take place, the perversion of sexual morality. America is the greatest exporter of the abomination that is being held in her cup as anywhere in the world. America's cup is full of abominations and adulteries. And we see other countries following our lead as they trend to move away from godly values. And, and that is why on Sunday nights we gather together in this church and we pray that God would give America one more revival, one more opportunity for there to be an ingathering of souls before he pour, pours out the bowls of judgment. One more thing that we notice about this woman. It says, I saw the woman was drunk on the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. 
And so she literally is, is drunk, has lost her, her, her mind over the fact that she has seen the blood of so many martyrs. And the Romans literally had killed thousands of Christians. And so the first century church would have seen this in the eyes of them celebrating of how many Christians they had martyred. We look today and we recognize today that there are people that are losing their life for the cause of Christ all over the world around us. And she celebrates this as she holds up this cup. The following theme that we begin to see growing from this brings us back to what a theme that we have seen throughout the entire book of Revelation, and that is that Satan has done his best to counterfeit what God has created every time. Satan was a counterfeit to God the Father. The Antichrist is a counterfeit to Jesus. The false prophet is a counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. And here, in this chapter, we see the counterfeit to the bride of Christ. This is the bride of Satan. And the bride of Satan opposes the bride of Christ at everything. And so the question that's posed to us all throughout Revelation, but especially here in the 17th chapter, is this. To which woman do you belong? Because Revelation has a picture of two brides. In Revelation 12, we look at the woman who is dressed in the sun and in the moon and the stars, and she's having labor, and she's about to bring forth a child, and we saw that as the Christmas story that was spelled out for us from what we saw in the spiritual realm for how Satan tried to attack and devour the child, but he could not, and he was born, and he made it to the throne, indicating Satan's kingdom was going to end. And the bride of Christ is dressed with a robe of righteousness and, and she is accessorized with all of the universe and the stars and the moon glowing as the sun. And she's wearing a heavenly wedding gown. By comparison, the other woman mentioned in Revelation 17 is a great prostitute. Dressed with the dress of earth, scarlet and jewels and the like. The woman obviously does not want a child she does not want God to be her father, nor does she want Christ as her son in that sense. In fact, she's a prostitute. She wants nothing to do with parental responsibility. She's a picture of arrogance, a picture of self-centeredness. Sitting where she sits on the beach, she looks exceedingly impressive. And John gives us this reminder. There are a lot of things that look impressive on the exterior, but when you find out what they're made of, it's evil on the inside. And as we look at this and come to the conclusion of which woman are we following, we have to ask ourselves some questions that may indicate to us how influenced are we by the bride of Satan. Are you finding yourself increasingly resentful against those Christians in your life? Are you finding yourself increasingly resentful against your church? as imperfect as we may be? Are you finding yourself increasingly resentful of Christian values and you find yourself attracted to the things of the world more than the things of God? Do you find yourself defending principles that God hates but the world loves? Do you find yourself picking and choosing what Scripture verses you will believe and what promises you want and eliminating those that would confront and offend the choices that you want to make in life to fit your own ideology. This is where the question comes to us. What woman do you belong to? 
And in this slow motion replay we are afforded by John here, we have to come to one of the most astonishing and unexpected plot twists in the history of the world. Those that have chosen the beast, the Antichrist, that have bought into the world's system known as the prostitute, never see this coming. But it's when evil comes full circle. Actually, evil turns on itself. And it eats its own. It eats its own. The nations and the Antichrist will turn against the bride of Satan, that one that has been riding on the back of the Antichrist, which all of the nations are profiting from. And it tells us in verse 16, the beast and the tin horns, which probably are an alliance of nations, you saw will hate the prostitute. Listen, this is what evil does. Evil hates. Temptation hates you. It lures you in, but it doesn't love you because it wants to destroy you in the end. And after this picture of, of opulence and grandeur that we have seen, the last thing that you would expect is for evil to turn on itself and begin to destroy itself. And now the beast and the nations turn against the woman, the system that they have been made rich on, the city as it's described, or the system that's causing all of the nations of the world to become so rich. It turns on the system and it says, they will bring her to ruin, they will leave her naked, and they will eat her flesh, and they will burn her with fire. If this harlot in chapter 17 weren't so hideous, we would pity her. She sits on the beast which is the Antichrist, but she does not control it. That's a significant point for us to consider. No doubt, as she's sitting there holding the reins, at some point or another, she thought she had everything under her control. At some point, she thought, I'm holding the reins, but just because you're sitting on something and you're holding the reins does not mean that you are in control Here's the way that is expressed in the world in which we live. I've had people come into my office and as we have discussed aspects of their life that they know are not being fulfilled in the way Scripture would have them to do, they say things like this. Listen, listen. I know, I know what I'm doing. I know that it looks like I am giving in my values here or I'm doing this there. I, I know that that's the way to... I know that I may be... Uh, Involving myself in a romantic relationship with somebody that does not hold my faith, but I just need you to know I'm strong enough for this. I, I just need you, I'm riding the beast, but I'm holding the reins. I, I know that it may appear that in my business that I'm doing some things that may be underhanded, but I just want you to know at the end, all the profit I make, I'm giving to the Lord. You just, you just need, I'm holding the reins, I'm riding the beast, but I'm holding the reins. And I doubt that the woman of Revelation 17 was even aware of what she was writing. But ultimately, the moral is true. Whoever rides the beast gets destroyed. Whoever rides the beast gets destroyed. And we look at this and we begin to scratch our heads of how can this evil union collapse in an instant? But we're, we're dealing with evil here. And it reiterates a truth to us that we need to be reminded of, and that's this. And I want you to write this down. Every God alternative in our life will ultimately victimize us. Every God alternative in our life will ultimately victimize us. 
everything you substitute for God in your life will eventually make a victim of you because this is the nature of evil. And there's a dynamic that's taking place here too that we see in the next verse. It says, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. So, we see in the 18th chapter that this causes the nations that have joined into this system that is known to us as the prostitute that they will ultimately go bankrupt. And the scripture tells us that God put it into the nation's heart. Now, that's a fascinating concept because here's what we understand. God uses evil. God does not do evil, but God can steer it. God does not do evil, but God can steer it. And God steered hatred until it turns on itself, which hatred will always do anyway, which evil will always do anyway. And so evil always will destroy itself, and God just let it turn. He just steered it to bring it to its natural end. This is given to us as a reminder that even in what seems like an uncontrollable scene, God is still in control. God is still driving the vehicle. God still knows what's happening. It reminds us that he says, just watch what happens to those that have rejected me because I'm steering the ship around and you're not going to believe how it ends. But it ends with me being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it brings us then to the 18th chapter, which is the fall of Babylon. And in the 19th chapter, there's this magnificent celebration that is taking place in heaven that I believe all of us are going to be a part of as we are watching this all just collapse. Everything that people had stood for, everything they've invested in themselves falls and we celebrate because we've been a part of the kingdom of God all along. And in this celebration of heaven, we observe the world values collapsing. Everything that the world's values is destined to collapse. Everything the bride of Satan embodies into the intoxication and seduction that she has influenced over the nations, both to embrace her anti-God values and to become rich in return. Everything set up as a counterfeit to God comes tumbling down. And in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 18, it says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion of her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts, I sit enthroned as a queen. I am as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts, therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, 
For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand afar off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. These individuals who have built their lives and their empires and their fortunes and their political power and have invested everything they have in the systems of the world will watch in terrified horror and weep and wail and mourn as they see their life's investment collapse in an instant. They will grieve their economic bankruptcy. It says the merchants weep and mourn for there's nothing left to sell, no one left to buy. The whole system is gone. And this great alliance of nations and political and economic and religious power that have been aligned under the power of the Antichrist against Christ is going to fall in an hour. And Revelation takes us through the lenses of a writer inspired by the Spirit who sees at the end of this two cities that are looming on the horizon of which each of us can only be a citizen of one because you cannot be a citizen of both. One is the city of Babylon. The other that you're going to hear about shortly is the city of Jerusalem. Babylon is the counterfeit to Jerusalem. Babylon is the best that man could come up with. Jerusalem is about to be God's creation. And so we are citizens either of Babylon or we're citizens of Jerusalem. The permanent city is Jerusalem. The temporary city is Babylon. Babylon is going down. Jerusalem is coming down. Our society is, that is built out of bricks cannot last, but the society that is coming down is permanent and it's bejeweled, made of gorgeous materials, and it's permanent and it will never be cast down. One city is named after confusion at the very root of its name. It means that. If that doesn't describe human society doing the best we can do, then I don't know what does. The other city that's coming down has shalom, peace, wholesomeness and life as its center and we're invited this morning to consider what city are you a citizen of so how does this apply to you today which woman do you belong to which city do you belong to there are four questions that are deeply on my heart as a pastor that I want to ask you to reflect on deeply and prayerfully I want you to do this not just here this morning, but I want you to take time this week as you begin to evaluate and hold the mirror of the world up to your life to see where you fall. And the first question that I want to ask you, and I'd like you to write these down if you would. Have you become too emotionally attached to your possessions? Have you created a false sense of security and a false sense of value for those things which we're reading in the Scripture is going to collapse? See, the problem with materialism and the material of the world is it tries to define your value rather than God defining your value. 
We begin to look at the things and it's so easy for our heart to get attached to material things that give us a false sense of security and value. And and so the first question is, have you become emotionally attached to your possessions? The second question is this, has consuming become more important than character building? We are told today that individually each of us face between two and 3,000 per pervasive messages a day that are aimed at marketing something to us. And the reason it is is because America is the wealthiest nation in the world. And they know that we have the funds available to buy. But the problem with materialism in a material world ethic is that it keeps people shallow and self-centered. It doesn't allow for the depth that God wants us to begin to develop in relationship with Him that is different than the world that is saying the only thing that matters is you and what you can accumulate and what you can buy and making yourself happy. And so there's a shallowness to those that are going to follow this prostitute and her system because all they do is take on her nature of self-centeredness and no responsibility. Joseph Stolo said, the point of materialism is not about how much we have, but what has us. It's not that what we hold tightly to is so important, but it's how we hold it. And this ethic leads us to a place where our greeds often outpace our needs. And the ethic of consumption eclipses the things that God is worried about. And it overwhelms the character of God who wants to fashion us into his image and not the image of God of the system of our world. So has consuming become more important in your life than character building? The third question is this, has self-indulgence replaced self-control? Everything that this woman on the beast represents, the great economic and political system represented has everything to do with consuming and owning and self-indulging and withholding nothing that seems to be a perceived pleasure from ourselves. She is the picture of what can seduce us into self-indulgence. And self-indulgence will lead you to addiction. And addiction is the loss of self-control. And I want you to know today that Jesus steps into this picture and he says, I am the one that breaks the chains that holds you and removes you from things that have your own self-control. I'm the one that come in and in this picture, I break those and set you free as my nature comes in and takes hold. And you then become a person that has self-control through the help of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you're constantly self-indulging, Constantly consuming pornography or constantly consuming alcohol and drugs until you've lost your self-control. You can't say no anymore. You become what you pay attention to. And your self-indulgence will cause you to sacrifice self-control. And this is the picture of the prostitute and the merchants which partner with her. Their greed has caused them to lose their ability to control themselves until it's all taken away. And the fourth question, will your source of security outlive this world? Chapter 17 and 18 give you a description of the destruction of everything that people are building their life on. 
So what kingdom are you investing in? If you were to examine the registry of the time that you spend, if you were to examine the registry of your bank statements, if you were to examine taking a look at your life, what would people conclude as to what system you are bought into? What would people conclude as to what woman you're going to be associated with or what city you will be associated with? Because as you expend your money and your energy, the kingdom that you're investing in will quickly rise to the top. And I conclude with this verse. Chapter 18, verse 4 says, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. I believe that that's the cry to the church, that we are living in the middle of a system that we can be gobbled up in so very quickly and so very easily. Because it seems so good and it looks so attractive and everything about it just looks so alluring. And the Lord says, but you need to know that what is on the inside is evil and it's all coming down. It's all coming down. So come out of her, my people. Let me change your values. Let me, let me change your heart. Let me change the things that should matter to you. Because in the end, there's only going to be one city standing. And there's only going to be one king on the throne. And his name is Jesus.